Telling the stories of entrepreneurs and how they overcame the struggles and challenges to get where they are today. This is Believe in the Entrepreneur with Joel Sandoval, CPA. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Believe in the Entrepreneur. And I'm super excited because I have Anselmo Moreno in the house, who's a Bakersfield native and a pretty much a entrepreneur in the credit space. So Anselmo, thanks for being in the show. Thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. So Anselmo, why don't you, uh, for my for my listeners that don't really know who you are, why don't we take it back to, you know, what made you even want to become an entrepreneur and how'd you get into the credit business? I always knew I was going to be my own, have my own business just because growing up, my dad had his own business and um, I just thought that naturally I would have my own business of some sort. And so I, I did not have a business or the business is not the same as it's not in the same line of work, but I kind of always had that in me. Like I knew it was going to happen at some point. And so uh, very young, I always had ideas and I would always try to act on them um, during like when I was a teenager. I had a job at Office Max and I had access to, I guess, nicer camera equipment than the average person had. And so for our families, like get togethers and quinceañeras, I was always taking pictures mm-hmm. and then I would sell them to my tias, you know, Oh really? because I would just print them at Office Max because I worked there at a discount, have these nice prints. And then I would just try to sell them back like, hey, I got these really nice photo of you and your kids that, that I took at the quinceañera. And so I was always just trying to, you know, find an edge somewhere. And, and so, and I'm so happy that I did that because now 20 years later, those are like some of the family's best pictures you mm. know, that we have from back in the day, because back in the day, not everybody had the access to cell phones that we do now and this, you know, cell phone cameras. Right. So you kind of already knew, um, as a, uh, from a, from a young age that you wanted to be in business because yeah. you saw your dad doing it and then. You even saw, okay, why not use what I have, my resources, um, and make a little bit of profit. Yeah. How old were you when you were doing that? I was a sophomore and junior in high school. So however old that is, what, 16? Okay. Yeah. And so um, what kind of, like, what what did you see in your dad or like, what were, like, what what business was your dad in and that made you want to do that? Because sometimes some kids are like, I want to do the opposite of my dad. Like, I don't want anything to do. I want to be the opposite. So like, yeah, so I did have that mentality because he, he's in the fence business. He still is. He's a fence contractor. And mm. so you know, they do commercial fence fencing. And, and so chain link fence, right iron, that kind of stuff. And I had to go work summers for him. So I knew I did not want to do that mm. mainly because I didn't like work in the summers. I wanted to go have fun in the summers, but I had to go work with him and be his assistant for the summer. Um, and I didn't like that. And uh, looking back, I feel like if I was exposed more to the business side, like if they took me on sales calls mm. and so I learned how to sell a job as opposed to literally digging the hole and mixing the cement, <laughs> you know, cause I didn't like that like <laughs> taking me on a sales call. I probably would have gravitated towards that, but that that's not the way things shaked out. And so mm. I did not end up in that business. Gotcha. So you, you enjoyed the basically kind of the customer service, the relationship driven business, but obviously you know, kind of similar to me, like getting your hands dirty and not that we don't, we wouldn't do it, but it's not necessarily what we gravitate to. I mean, yeah, would, would you it just kind of felt more like punishment. Like <laughs> you're going to work with me. And I was like, really, can I go find another job? You know? <laughs> and so, um, that's kind of how that, that shaked out. But you know, you're a teenager and you're kind of rebellious. And 
So it was a different times back then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and so, you know, you obviously your dad's in the in the fencing business. Um, the credit business is not anywhere close to that. So how would you end up in this industry? Yeah, that's a um, funny question. So in high school, um, I had a girlfriend, and her stepdad had a credit repair company here in town. They're still here in town. And so one day I was over at her house and we were working on a homework assignment and I can type really fast, mm. like 120 words a minute. Nice. 100% accuracy, right? And so I'm just like typing away and he just looks at me and he's like, I need you to do some stuff for me for the office. And I was like, sure, you know, I'll do anything for money. Like, what do you need? And so he had me type up a bunch of dispute letters that he was sending out to the credit bureaus for his clients. And that's when I, I started to realize, okay, I see what's going on here. I'm reading the letters and um, I was just typing them out, you know, and, and so that was my f- intro to credit. And that summer I started working with him in his office and I really got into the business because I, I, I'm bilingual, I can speak Spanish and he didn't. Mm. So then I started translating credit consultations with him and that really helps you understand concepts, right? If you're translating from one language to another, you, you're going to understand the concept and you're going to translate the idea and not just word for word. And so I really understood credit. Um, better than most. I thought I knew everything, but I just knew more than most. Mm-hmm. So that was that one summer. Then we broke up. <laughs> so I got <laughs> fired shortly thereafter. <laughs> but I always, I'm like, I know credit, so I'm going to go try to find a job in this industry. So I went to go work for HP Sears, okay. a local debt collector mm. here in town, a debt collection company. And I showed up and I just said, I want a job. I know a lot about credit and I probably could be good here. And they're just like, do you have problem asking people for money? And I'm like, nope. You know, and right away they uh, hired me on. I started making phone calls, trying to you know be a debt collector. And really quickly they realized that I would be better off in sales. Mm. And they moved me within three months to their sales and an account exact position. Mm. And that was just amazing for me because I was I was 19. Wow. And I was still going to BC. And I got my own company car, my company credit card, and I literally became an account executive for the local debt collection company. And um, that was business to business sales, mm. right? And so I was just selling to professional businesses. I remember this was my stomping grounds right here because there's a lot of medical offices here on Stockdale Highway. Mm-hmm. My best client was here at Stockdale Podiatry. They're not there no more, but, mm. you know. And so I would go call on them, pick up their accounts, take them back to the office, collect and give them to the girls that then would put them in the system for the debt collection floor to collect on. And that was my job mm-hmm. business to business sales. And it's pretty cutthroat. There was a few at the back then there was several debt collectors here in town. And so we were pretty, I mean, we wanted to steal each other's business every day. That was the, the name of the game. Mm-hmm. So I really learned the debt collection industry there. Um, and that was a big help for me to understand the circle of credit, right? From helping consumers, then understanding why debt collectors are needed in the in the world, mm-hmm. and just understanding how credit reporting works on from a debt collector's perspective. This was right when the crash was happening in 07, mm. 06, right? I'm working at HP Sears. I still have contacts in the real estate space from working at the other credit repair company. And so they're still calling me like, hey, I have this client. He speaks Spanish. Um, the other person can't take them or they don't feel comfortable speaking to somebody that doesn't speak Spanish. Can you help them? And I'd look at a report. And I'm like, 
yeah, they got some collections at HP Sears. Let, let me handle this. No, no problem. I'm, I work here, you know, mm-hmm. boom. And so it just kind of started to pick up because as the real estate market was tanking, mm-hmm. nobody was admitting it. Credit started getting tighter. You couldn't get a loan so easy anymore. Mm-hmm. So people needed to work on their credit more. Mm. And next thing you know, December 2006, Innovative Credit Solutions was born. I had the logo made, got my fictitious business name statement, got my bank account, and said, I'm in business. And a few months after that, I left the agency because I wanted to focus fully on the business. Wow. So you saw an opportunity uh, in in a market, actually, that's probably going into basically the recession. Yeah. But for you, it was an opportunity because, like you said, it's not as easy to get a loan anymore um credits you got to have actually a good credit score you know before i think you know real estate agents would joke like hey all you had to have it was like blood pulse and you get yeah. a loan but now you actually had to have good credit and so you saw that as an opportunity and so i mean how old were you at, the, at this time i was 19 19 so wow yeah so no uh, december 2006 i was 20 20 yeah. okay and so but I mean, it sounds like you're doing pretty well, though, as an account exec. Yeah. I mean, you're getting, I mean, it, you know, obviously. I had just closed my biggest deal right before I left. I got the Delano Hospital for the company that they've been trying to get for, for years. They couldn't get them. And I had just closed that contract. Oh, wow. It was a big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, why why leave, you know, something that is, you know, probably your best opportunity at the time to start, you know, innovative credit solutions where you basically are going to have to start something from scratch. Yeah. You know, at the time I realized that it was a, a very, it was the only time where I was not going to have kids. I didn't have any, nobody to take care of but myself. Right. And so I knew I could fail. So I had no fear of failing because if I failed, I didn't let anybody down. My kids weren't going to starve. I didn't have kids. My mm-hmm. wife wasn't going to leave me or starve because I didn't have a wife. <laughs> and so I just, I intuitively knew like if, I'm not risking much because what do I got to lose? You know, as opposed to um, understanding that if I had a family to take care of, that I needed to probably take the secure route as opposed to taking a risk. And so I I took the risk without even thinking very much. Um, So yeah, that was my thought process back then. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best time to start a business is when you have, you know, as little risk as possible, right? Like you, you didn't have a, like you said, a family to have to support, and it was just yourself. So that's awesome. But I, I mean, at 20 years old, though, you probably don't. I mean, you, yes, you've had some experience. You know, you've helped your dad out, but you didn't help in the sales, you know, aspect. You have some sales experience now as an account exec, but you still haven't really like ran a business by yourself. So how do you learn all these business skills, you know, when at 20 years old? You don't. You, you fig- so you figure it out, right? So just as I was chatting, um, your uh, secretary up front, she, was, she brought up the whole youth financial literacy, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about it in a bit. But um, she said, I wish somebody would have taught us that in high school because nobody teaches us youth financial literacy as a young person. We learn it as we grow up. We mm-hmm. learn about credit cards and we figure it out. And so I, that was very much... What happened as a young business person, I didn't know anything about business. You just kind of figure it out. You pay a heavy price sometimes because you make these mistakes that you didn't know about. Um, Obviously, now I know things that I didn't know back then. Mm -hmm. 
but um yeah you know i, I made a lot of mistakes uh, quite a bit actually um and so luckily none of them were fatal so we were <laughs> able to get through but yeah it was tough yeah 100 percent. and i think that's you know that's probably one of the things uh, a new business owner is you know you try to have all the answers but you really don't get the answers until you put you basically get your hands dirty and you come across situations where you're like okay I'm going to do something differently next time because that probably didn't go so well. And then you start to kind of pivot and alternate until you finally have this business that, that really makes sense. And that's how it worked for me. I'm assuming that's probably how it worked for you as well. Yeah. And I do got to give credit to the, uh, you know, my ex-girlfriend, my high school girlfriend, stepdad, because that, that did give me the blueprint for how to potentially run, a, how a credit repair company is supposed to run, mm. right? To a certain extent, right? You, you understand what doesn't work, what you didn't like, and how you can maybe I would do this differently. But I already had the the exposure to a credit repair business before. So I kind of knew um, how to potentially put one together. And um, so I, I, did, I did have to, I did have that as well. So not just the collection agency sales background and collection agency collections background, but I was exposed to credit repair before. And so I did have that. Um, and I felt really confident going into opening up an innovative credit solutions that I would be successful. I had like no doubt. Nice. So you had the, you had the mindset for sure. And I think that's important because without that confidence, you're not going to succeed. Yeah. I had no, I had, I didn't have any resources though. So <laughs> I, I think this is what I really like as a, as a, maybe somebody listening to this going, okay, so how did you do it? Right? Like, you didn't just all of a sudden have a building and staff and computers, right? That stuff is, you know, I, I use my computer from high school. <laughs> that was the first computer mm -hmm. because I couldn't just buy one. Um, so, right, like how did you do it? And so um, back then they had just built where, you know where the Regis building is on California Avenue? The, oh, the yeah. Executive offices. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So that used to be called Valley HQ. Before okay. the guys that founded that, Sasha, before he sold it to Regis, he founded Valley HQ. It was an executive office building, and you can rent an office, or you can rent an office for the day. And so that was my first entry. Like, I can afford that. I can afford the conference room for a day. Mm. Right. So if I have appointments, we're going to go there for today. And so that was a easier way instead of just like, oh, I have my own office, right? And so slowly I was able to rent a conference room then rented an office you know small office there but it was an easy access point because it wasn't expensive mm. and so i didn't have the capital to commit to a lease mm -hmm. for a you know, thousand or at the time maybe 2500 a month there was no way i could do that but i could commit to something like that so i found ways to make it work I, you know i had a blackberry <laughs> oh really right you know it was back then where blackberries were cool and uh -huh. um, Blackberries are phones in case somebody listens. To <laughs> um, and so that was my business phone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's your cell phone, but it, you know, we made it work. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I put it together. And slowly but surely, um, I remember very clearly, man, the, the real estate market was collapsing. Real estate agents were exiting the business. And there was just leases available all around town for that. They were just abandoning offices. Oh, wow. And so one of my close referral partners said, hey, I got to break my lease. It's a great deal. Do you want it? And I was like, how much? And he's 
like you can just take over you know save me on on breaking the lease and i'm like all right let's do it mm-hmm. you know and that's how i got into my first lease because mm-hmm. so i took over a lease and it was just kind of worked out that, that i could i was comfortable with the payment and next thing you know we moved to the office next door or like we combined the offices because the office was growing and little by little you know it's been 16 years man it's just crazy how fast time has flown yeah for sure and it's pretty cool to hear your story because that you pretty much are compounding but you were creative in the beginning because you know if someone could say oh you know I'm, i would start a business but you know i can't afford it but you're like well you know why don't you just rent an office for a day you don't have to necessarily rent the whole office space so you were still being creative to be able to generate this business that eventually flourished into what it is now but you didn't let that stop you and and so that that's pretty inspiring for someone because it could, it's easily to get you can easily get discouraged but if you're creative creative enough right it'll happen you know innovative <laughs> innovative creative solutions <laughs> credit solutions so um that's awesome so you know fast forward to today you know obviously now you have you know staff and so what if someone what would um how has your business pivoted because you were in the at the time you were helping people fix their credit and that was the opportunity but obviously that recession didn't last forever so you know you probably would have to make adjustments in your business so like has your value proposition always stayed the same like hey i'm going to fix your credit or what other opportunities did you come across no it it's actually stayed the same our uh our initial business model revolved around making and building relationships with real estate agents and mortgage lenders and and just professionals in those spaces and the value proposition to a mortgage lender is send me a client i will send them back and you can do the loan right that's always been our main objective is we have relationships with the best lenders in town and they send us clients and we send them back mm. if the lender can keep their real estate agent happy then the lender will keep sending us business and I send them back and then they send the, the client back to the real estate agent and it's just that circle mm. and that circle and those relationships that we've built um ha- have really grown our business and and obviously you know I have a lot of real estate agents and loan officer friends that are like family now mm-hmm. um because we've been working for 15 years wow and so that's always been our main value proposition and originally that was our only source of business However, over the years, it's kind of weird we've had repeat clients and I always tell my clients like I don't want you back, man. Don't come back. <laughs> But we've learned that life happens mm. and sometimes somebody needs to come back and they need more credit help. Sometimes it's just a few questions, right? Sometimes it's pretty minor, but they know that we're we're a resource and so people come back and then obviously they send their friends. So now we have a really good mix of referral partners sending us clients and then past clients sending us clients or coming back mm. uh, which is pretty wild. Gotcha. That's awesome. So, I mean, how do you even fix somebody's credit because let's say like you said um people don't get this education, right? Where okay, this is how you should um use your credit card so that way you have a good credit score. And so people use it the wrong way and they have these jacked up credit scores and then they can't afford to buy anything. So, So let's say, you know, someone comes in and it's like their credit score is all messed up. You know, what I mean, take me through your process. Yeah. That we could do a whole sh- whole show on that. <laughs> um Yeah, so credit repair is really misunderstood. Um 
And lately, it's been very bad, especially... Um, I can't say that we have much competition in town, but the competition that we do have is a very rad, bad representative of credit repair. Mm. And so the, the, the typical credit repair value proposition is you have bad stuff on your credit report, I'll take it off. Pay me this amount of money and I'll make that stuff go away. That's the typical engagement, right? Mm. And I always tell my clients and even my staff, like, hey, that's a super easy sale. You have to be zero skills in sales if you're telling somebody, I'm going to delete your collections from your report if you give me this much money. Because the client's going to say, like, perfect. I don't got to pay the collection, so I'll gladly give you a fraction of my collections for you to make them go away. And what differentiates a real credit repair professional and a, you know, a credit service company is being able to distinguish when you can get rid of something from the credit report and when you can't. And our... And our biggest quality is the ability to do just that, for me to look at a report and go, you know what, this bill, we're going to have to negotiate and pay because they're not going to go away. It's a valid debt, and um, we got all the proof, so we need to pivot and make a deal with them to make this go away. And you won't find another credit repair company in the county, probably even in Southern California, that has that ability to go, we need to negotiate and pay that bill, and I can make that deal happen for you. We were really good at negotiating debt because I was a debt collector before, mm. and so, and, and so that's that's our our biggest like that's our that's what makes us different. That's what makes us unique, and that's what makes us effective. Mm -hmm. Because you'll have a credit repair company just dispute things on people's credit reports, write those magic letters, send them to the credit bureaus, and they'll do that every month for two years. If you're paying them that monthly fee, they'll keep sending the same damn letters over and over and over again. But that's not going to work. Mm. It's not going to work at all. Eventually, you know, you, someone needs to figure out that that doesn't work. Um, so we, you know, that's what we do. But our, to answer your question, our typical intake is referral partner sends a client in. Hey, we this client wants to get mortgage ready and their credit score is not good enough. How do we get there? We look at the, we have a consultation with the client. We go over the report. Hey, do you recognize this account? Do you agree, disagree with it? And that makes a plan. This account he doesn't recognize. This account he doesn't agree with it. This account he agrees with. So we got the plan. We're going to fight this one. We're going to negotiate this one. And maybe we need to help them open up a few accounts because they don't have any credit open and active. Mm. So all right, cool. We got the plan. So then we get to work. Our work, our job is to negotiate and dispute accounts on behalf of the client. Strategically though, right? I know who we got to negotiate with and I know who we got to dispute accounts with. Um, and so that's our typical workflow, mm. you know, and, and so eventually we're done. Some clients take longer than others, but the average client is with us six months. And then the goal is that now your credit score is where it needs to be for the mortgage lender to be able to do the loan. Right. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting that you have basically, or you've been, you know, you're the founder and passport president of the Youth Financial Literacy Organization, which we were talking about earlier, which actually teaches high school seniors how to, you know, finance skills, which yeah. is pretty interesting that you're doing that because your business is generating from people helping making them like make, make bad decisions so I can help you, you know, fix that. But you're like, hey, let me teach you how to make good decisions so that way you're never a customer. So it's almost like controversial. Yeah, but in, in real life, that's not the way things happen. Mm. Life happens to people, job loss, divorce, layoffs, and you can have significant financial acumen and you might have a catastrophe happened to you you know <clears throat> what if you got covid and you were in the hospital for a month 
you're probably going to pay some bills late just because, you know, mm -hmm. you were in a coma or something. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned that tragedy happens and it, it's not, it's not discriminating people that are not as financially literate as others. Mm -hmm. um, so financial, I've learned financial literacy is one component, but the biggest one is financial discipline. And it's someone's ability to know that they could buy that, but they choose not to because they'd rather increase their savings for an emergency. Mm -hmm. And so I have all kinds of clients, Joel, and from all kinds of different income ranges, and they all have the same problems. Some clients have an extra zero at the end of theirs, mm. but that's it. Mm. They all have the same problems. And it's just typically is going to be they spend more than they make. Right. And how do you get someone out of that habit? Because I like I have family members that, you know, will have like, let's say they have this huge credit balance and, and they just don't have enough income. There's no way that they're going to pay off this balance. But, you know, for example, last year when the interest rates dropped, they were able to refinance out enough equity in their home. They refinanced, paid off all the debt. And now they're their credit, you know, they're debt free. Year passes. They're in the same boat. And it's like. And it's because they don't have that financial discipline, like you're saying. So how do you even teach that skill to like, let's say someone's struggling with like, maybe they understand, but they don't have the discipline. Like, how do you teach that to someone to really have that? Yeah. So you don't, mm. you don't, they got to want it. Right. I, le I learned that a long time ago. And, um, you know, we can, we can show them the concepts and understand like where you're going, like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. And it's, it's, it's very similar to, say a doctor telling his patient like, Hey, you need to make these changes in your life or you're probably going to die. Right. Or, you know, you make these changes or th this is going to, you're going to lose your leg. Right. Mm -hmm. The client either wants to, or he doesn't mm. not much. You can tell that person um, unless they themselves want to. Right? right. The goal with youth financial literacy was to at least give these kids a chance because um, that it was, it, the catalyst was rotary and rotary is a local service organization um, there's six Rotary clubs here in town, and I belong to Twilight Rotary. We're the only club that meets in the evening. So it's a service club made up of local professionals that just want to do good in the community. We're just trying to use our collective resources and networking and, and, and skills to do good things. And so that was the catalyst for the Youth Financial Literacy Program. And so we got a couple professionals involved, and next thing you know, we're teaching classes at Miramonte High School, East High School, and then Covenant Coffee, which is the Emancipated Foster Youth Program. And we're teaching these high school kids how to understand their finances, how to navigate simple things. Joel, like the kids thought if you have a credit card or if you go to get a bank account and you go pay, if you choose debit or credit at the teller, how, you know, the kids thought, that if you choose credit, it goes to your credit card. If you choose debit, it comes out of your bank. Yeah. That's what every high school senior I've ever encountered thinks. Mm. Little things like that that you take for granted that you're just like, no, they're both coming out of your bank account, but these kids don't know simple concepts like that. And so that that's how youth financial literacy started. Mm. And um, we were we, we had we developed the curriculum, and the next thing you know, because Rotary's involved, we were able to raise funds for scholarships. And so that was a really rewarding experience for me. And now I have kids that we taught that are, you know, they have their master's degree killing it in life. Mm. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's been a few years now. Um, and they're always, it's always good to see them do well and take the concepts that we taught them and, and see them exercise them in, in, in life. Um, 
COVID did slow that down, so we were not able to be in the classroom during COVID. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll be back in the classroom soon. Nice. That's pretty cool that you're teaching kind of even just the the fundamentals because I remember my you know putting myself in in that situation as a young kid and I remember opening my my first credit card and uh, my dad is like hey before you open your credit card I'm gonna I need to have a conversation with you and he spent like 15 minutes explaining what a credit card was and he basically all I got he spent like 15 minutes but I got like 30 seconds that instilled which was like whatever you spend on your credit card make sure you pay it off 100 percent otherwise you're going to screw up your credit score. So I, and so I had this fear of like, okay, I got to pay off my credit card. And I would actually, you know, I didn't even know that you could pay your credit card online. I don't even know if it existed back then, but I remember I go to the credit union like every week to go pay off my, my credit card. Cause I was like, my dad said I got to pay off my, I wouldn't even wait till like the statement ended. And like, you know, I still had 30 days after that. And you really have like 60 days to pay it off, you know, as long as, long as it's before the due date, but I was just so, had this fear and now, you know, credit can actually be a good thing, you know, because if you use it wisely, it just opens more doors to opportunities. You can get loans so easily. Um, and, and you're kind of, and like you said, people don't know the difference between debit and credit. And there's other people that are like, oh, they hate credit cards. And it's really just because they don't know how to manage them because, and, and they only use like a debit card and they pay off their checking or, you know, they just see the bank balance going down because that's ultimately how they make financial decisions. And to me, is this a lack of, you know, really like as a CPA, like lack of budgeting, lack of, you know, managing your money. Um, and, and, and again, financial discipline. And so they're kind of like, we have some correlation in our industries, uh, even though we have absolutely no idea of how to fix someone's credit, you know, we understand what, how to move your money in order not to not be in that situation. But like you said, you, we've seen doctors and, you know, people that are lower income, doesn't matter. And they still like make bad decisions. And I'm like, and, and I think it just comes down to them not learning those, those fundamentals. And, and like you said, though, life gets in the way sometimes. And sometimes it could be that they do have the financial literacy, but life gets in the way. And then they they end up in this in this mess. So um, that's that's awesome that you're able to provide a service to help people get out of that. Um, you know that being said, um, is are most of your customers? You know, do you have those conversations with your customers, or is it more just like, hey, let me fix your problem, and then you're done? No, no, we can't do that. It's we really need their buy-in, right? Uh, the most common conversation I'm having on. So I'm looking at a credit report and I'm just like, hey, the credit report says you paid such and such bill late last month or six months ago. You know, in, in, in order for you to get ready to buy a house, I can't have you have a late payment. So if you pay late, you're not going to buy a house, right? So moving forward, we need to make sure that these late payments stop, right? And so sometimes it'll be like, I co-signed for my friend or I co-signed for my family member. So I didn't make those payments late, but I co-signed, so it's on my report. Mm. And it's like, well... You need to take over the payments and have your friend or family member pay you because if you you know you can't afford a new late payment or it's going to kick the home buying can down the road and you're not going to be able to buy a house by the time frame that you want mm-hmm. right and so we're having these conversations to make sure that the consumers don't pay late right we need we need to make sure that they they buy in on that if i need to do debt settlements and i need to get rid of some debt they need to, I need to make sure that they're saving up money so when the time comes to negotiate and pay something off that they have the capital for it, 
Um, and also at the same time, they need to be saving up money for their house, right? Down payment mm-hmm. for their house. So we do have these financial conversations, but not to the point where, you know, we're going to sit down and break out the budget and Dave Ramsey it up with them. Right. We're not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it so, so the client either has the ability and wants to do it or, you know, they're going to continue to make bad decisions and not be able to. That's what I found for the most part. Um, but, you know, if the client, the most people that really want a house, make it happen. Mm. Yeah, I think like you said, it goes back to how bad do you want it, exactly. right? Exactly. And so if, they, if they're like, hey, I really want a house and that's really their motive, like they're going to probably be on top of it. Yeah, if you really want a house and you, that means you have to stop eating out or buying Starbucks every day, mm-hmm. you'll make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people... Even if it's just temporary, right? For the next six months, just cut that out. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll make it happen, right? Yeah. It's funny that, like you said, you know, it, you got to stop eating out or or buying Starbucks because, with the fact that we have credit, you know, available in this economy, it's almost like some people don't make buying decisions based on their bank. They're just like, hey, I have a credit card. Let me go swipe it and buy whatever I want. Um, until you try to buy a house and you realize you can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so now it's like, okay, I, I really should be spending my money more wisely. Um, and, and it's, and it's great that you're, you're having these conversations with clients because it really, you know, helps them, you know, achieve the American dream or if that's really their goal to own their own house um, or just to be in, in a better financial situation, which I think is, is, is awesome. Um, but that being said, you know, like you said, the, the client has to want it. Um, and so how do you hold someone accountable to that? Like if you put them on a, on a plan, like, okay, we're going to take, it's going to take us this long to fix your credit. And, you know, obviously they have to want it, but like, is, do you have a way to hold them accountable or is it just like, Hey, this is what, this is your game plan. That's it. Well, we're, we're work, we're holding their hand along the way. Right. So if I'm, if I'm working on someone's file, I'm checking in with them like, Hey, get, you know, we're working on this account. Um, we got the settlement offer on the table. I think we can get it a little lower. Just hang tight for me. Right. And sometimes they'll say, Hey, I don't got time. Just go ahead and pay it. All right, cool. We'll pay that one and we'll move on to the next one. Right. And so if someone's under management with us, we're constantly talking to them, checking in. Hey, did you, you know, are you ready to pay this debt or do we have a budget or a date for this debt? Um, you know, can let's look at your credit report to see how things are going. Did you open up the credit card and pay it on time? Like I asked you to, right? So we're constantly checking in on the goalposts that we establish because we've got to make sure that we are meeting those goals along the way. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're constantly holding their hands to make sure that what we've set out to accomplish is being accomplished and things happen, uh, you know, um, Hey, I don't have the capital for that debt this month. Let's try again next month. All right, fine. Right. And, and that's how a file can be maybe be extended longer than I thought because the client um, had an emergency and they couldn't use, they had to use their funds for something else. That happens all the time. Mm. But we have the, and I always tell the client like, well, the debt's going to be there next month too. So it's not going to go away. Well, it'll be there waiting for us next month when you're ready. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we constantly connect with our clients. If they're under management, we're talking to them at least once a month. Gotcha. Awesome. That's <clears throat> so talk to me about, you know, now kind of the, the business side of it, because you obviously are helping clients resolve their credit um, to help them achieve, you know, the, buying their house. But you've obviously grown since, you know, you be, being able to just rent one spot, you know, an office for a day. Now you have staff. So like, 
how are you able to basically leverage and grow your team and grow your business with this, you know, was there just such a big demand that you're like, Hey, I need help. Or how did you, how were you able to kind of grow, grow in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. So for sure there was a big demand. Um, there's a lot of people that have bad credit, but not everybody could do something about it. Right. So we, we're not, our client isn't somebody that's going through a financial crisis right now. Yes, we can help them make decisions, smart decisions on what to do about their financial crisis. Maybe bankruptcy might be a good idea, right? We, we can help figure that out. But our client is somebody that went through a financial crisis and now is stable financially, and they're able to make their credit report look better, right? Their credit report still looks like they're a financial crisis, but now they're not. So we can help the credit report look Mm. Like they're not in a financial crisis. And so that's our client. It's somebody that went through a financial crisis and now is not in a financial crisis and they're stable enough to do something about it. Along the way, um, I met some good people that really stayed with my team. And, and so one of them um, was a debt collector that worked at HP Sears with me who had a particular skill set. And I said, hey, you want to try to come fix people's credit with me? You know, and, and so sure enough... He came over and he started building his own book of business. Um, and this was in 08. And surely enough, he was such a key player to my growth. I gave him partnership to the firm, mm. you know, because I felt that he was so good at certain things that I did not like to do. Mm. One of those is accounting. <laughs> he's really good at, at it. And so he just really helped take things off my plate that I would normally procrastinate. Mm. And if you procrastinate accounting, then it gets really bad at the end of the year when you got to do the 12 months. Right. Uh, and so, and so, yeah. And so, you know, I met, his name is Richard. And so he's been a key part of innovative credit solutions. And then Andrew, who was with me from the very beginning, um, also still with us. And so he's a, our, our key, a key member too. Uh, but then we, you know, now we have a debt settlement department. So we have our, our, in our building, we have our debt settlement team, and it's just a, we call it the war room, and that's where our crew goes in there, and it's basically like the reverse debt collectors, mm. because it's full of cubicles, and they're there negotiating debts for our clients, right? Mm. And so, and it's, it always reminds me of the debt collector days, because debt collectors have that same style, but they're calling collecting money from people, mm. and we're calling the debt collectors we're, we're calling to harass the debt collector. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, and lately, you know, we just haven't, um, well, lately, well, that was the key part of our growth, right? Mm -hmm. like, uh, just making sure that I ha had the right people and then that I retained them, right? And I felt that giving them a piece of the equity pie would increase their retention mm -hmm. and then give them that pride, like this is also mine, and I want to see it succeed as much as I did. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, um, a big deal for me. Um, but it really worked out. Mm. It really did because it took a lot of things off my plate where I could focus on the things that I like to do, which is engage people and engage customers. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, I mean, equity, I think, is probably like, like they call them the golden handcuffs, right? Because once you give equity to key, you know, key employees or key team members, like you said, now it's their company. So... Where, I mean, there's really no place to go now because it's their company. Um, and I think it's one of the things, like, for example, us here, there's certain team members that I'm like, you know, they're, they're my managers for a reason. You know, they handle, like, the, we have a tax department that 
my manager that handles that and I have my, my accounting manager that handles, you know, the accounting department and they're key players in my organization because, you know, without them, you know, that department would not run. And so I've always told them like, Hey, you know, stick around long enough when we get to certain size, you know, I'll, there's going to be equity ownership to you. Um, Cause my goal here at our firm is when we get to a certain amount of, you know, revenue for a certain number of years eventually we'll sell the firm to a big you know accounting firm and then they'll have a huge windfall because they're equity owners and that's kind of you know my goal and handcuffs for for them because they're they're just such key players but obviously for you've done that already in some sense uh, by offering ownership at a very you know early stages of your career i mean not, not still 16 years but <laughs> yeah so it was hap- it was in 2014 okay so we're already eight years in okay yeah that's so so but for you to give away part of your company right because this is something that you've built you know you kind of have to be a little bit unselfish and like say okay so what was your mindset at the time when you offered this equity yeah yeah no so it was it was fully from a uh man I, i couldn't couldn't have gotten here without them and so I can't go forward without them. You know, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I knew that it was more a, of a gratitude thing. Like, thank you. Mm. Um, and so if you guys believe in what we're doing and you believe we can continue to grow, I'd like to offer you this equity position. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, you know what, what it, what, what it did for me was we were able to, I was able to stop micromanaging them. Right. Mm. What now it stopped about, what time did you clock in? What time did you clock out? No, now they're staying till eight o'clock at night like I am. Mm-hmm. It's theirs too. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of shifted the production quite a bit. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was more of a, a uh, I knew that that's the team. The, and me by myself, I can't do much by myself, man. Right. Like I tried for eight years to do a lot of things by myself. I figured out I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it takes an, it takes an army to, to really build something special. Like you said, there's only, I mean, there's only 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. So one person alone can only do so much. You know, if you think about some of the biggest companies in the world, I mean, you know, whether it's like Amazon, for example, I mean, thousands and thousands of employees, right. And they have CEO, CFOs, you know, this, you know, you know, board, board members to help run this organization, and now it's a public company. Basically, the stock, you know, the stock owners are actually owners in the company. So it really, it's a really a mindset, I think. Yeah, but, you know, really looking back at it, too, the, the skills, the skill set and the almost like trade secrets that we have, there's, there's, um, if you think, if I thought about it, too, and I said, well, there's not a whole lot stopping these people from taking what we've learned and starting their own business with it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I really didn't want to see them as competitors because they knew a lot of the same things that I knew. And so, and nobody else did like none of our real competitors did. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that that was also a a move to help them not be my competitors. Mm. And so that was also, I just recalled that that was a big part of the decision-making there. Yeah. I think that's key because like you said, these, they have the, um, the skills to basically become competition and you're like, Hey, no, we're in this together. Why don't we just join forces before yeah. this ever even happens? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, and I think that's, I think one of the, re- the ways that I've been able to kind of, 
battle that as well as also by having a good culture in, in our firm. Like, I think that if we, if we all believe in the, the vision, the mission and the values of the company, like it's almost like, like we, like, for example, we, we, we have certain revenue targets and when we, when we hit those revenue targets, then we go out and celebrate all together. So like, for example, last year we made a goal. Okay. We're going to try to double the size of the firm and we were tracking the metrics every morning. And then a year and a half later, it took us about a year and a half to actually double it. And so, you know, the firm basically paid for, um, a cruise company paid for, uh, Ensenada trip there and back. And so they got to celebrate the success of us growing and that was, you know, a company paid expense. So I think that also kind of contributes to the, the loyalty, um, to our organization because it's like, Hey, you might not have equity now, but you know, I still want to, I still want you to be rewarded from our success. You know, I still want you to, 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 to see that, you know, your hard work, you know, that, that you're going to be, there's going to be some kind of reward. And I think that's helped us a lot. Um, and at, at our firm, I mean, would you agree that culture is, is important as well in, in your company or how, how do you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think somebody wants to, somebody needs to want to come to work mm -hmm. and then they also need to want to do well for the company. Right. Um, you don't want them to just be on the clock on their cell phone all day. Right. Um, and so, yeah, culture, they got to have this vested interest in making sure that you're propelling the goals of the company and the organization forward. And if they don't have that vested interest, you know, they're going to be your weakest link and you're only as strong as your weakest link. Mm. And so absolutely, I agree. And so we, we have a, a really good team. Um, there's eight of us there at the office and um, we all get along. You nice. Know, we, all, we all get along. Um, and... Uh, Hopefully, um, things can just get better for us. We wanted to to bring on more more to the team. Um, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon uh, because we just have such a good team. Every everything's buttoned in right now, dialed in right now. Uh, we're working on um, it's called Innovative Credit Scores. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially a credit monitoring program, very similar to like LifeLock. Um, but more also kind of like Credit Karma, but it's ours, right? Mm. It's our own credit monitoring platform. And that's my current goal and my current project that I'm focusing on is getting that off the ground. And it's off the ground already, but getting that expanded to to everybody that I can. So And so that product is something that has been in the works for a while now, mm -hmm. maybe two years. And so we have a lot of our clients enrolled in it. And that's like my next big push is trying to get everybody to that needs innovative credit scores.com to have that identity protection membership. Um, so that's something that's keeping me busy. And so, yeah, that's, that's exciting, man. Uh, I think that anytime, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, when you come across these ideas of like, you know, how can you provide more value to your, to your existing customers and um, new customers as well? I think that's, you know, it's a reason for us to wake up in the morning so I could see how that could yeah, be. Yeah. So real quick, um, Along the way, over the years, we started to receive a lot of clients that were victims of identity theft. I'm sure you've seen it yep. a lot, right? Where they have to do the whole PIN number to file their taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that a lot in credit as well. And they're not always connected. Like somebody could have their identity stolen and somebody's working their social. And then so then you have IRS problems. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they're going to have credit problems, right? And so they're typically different. 
or they could have credit problems, but nobody's working their social, so they have no IRS problems. So along the way, we became identity theft experts. Like we just kind of had to figure it out for people along the way because somebody opened up a credit card under my name. I need help. Or somebody I had one last week. I kid you not, bought a car, went to the dealership and got a car under my client's name. Wow. A car, the police are looking for it right now. <laughs> uh, and so crazy things, right? And so we yeah. figured that stuff out. And that was the need for a really robust program that can monitor somebody's identity and allow us to react quickly to it because you can't prevent identity theft mm. you can only react to it mm. and so especially nowadays where all of our information has been leaked at some point through mm -hmm. one of these crazy data breaches that have happened over the years so it's only a matter of time before potentially your identity is compromised and you know you need to react to an identity theft situation mm -hmm. and so that's why that was the, the birth of this credit identity monitoring program that we have and so that's been on my biggest push lately that's awesome yeah identity theft it's it's obviously becoming even more and more of an issue i think especially with technology like you know we, we store we have usernames and passwords everywhere and we tend to use the same passwords yeah. to log in so um and then big companies like you said we have data breaches so it's just our information is out there online uh, and you know, I, I, it's, there's been obviously improvements to technology to help protect that. But like you said, um, we're always at risk. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter, you know, how, if you could probably have the best password, but there could be a data breach and then you still a victim of identity theft. Yeah. And the way identity theft manifests itself is someone has your personal info, right? Your date of birth, your social, your name, address, and most of that stuff you can Google, like you can Google your name or your address and you can connect those. But if someone gets your social and date of birth and your credit is decent, they can open up a Capital One credit card online right now. Wow. And they don't got to wait for it to come in the mail. They'll give you the 16-digit the account number so you can buy stuff online right now. Wow. And so that's a lot of the stuff that we see and that we handle for people. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it, does, that, does that affect someone's credit score? Like, for example, I've had, it, you know, in my circumstance where, like, my wife will see a charge or I'll see a charge since I do the accounting, we'll see a charge and I'm like, Hey, this doesn't look like a normal transaction. Uh, was this yours? And then sometimes it's a valid expense, but sometimes it's like, I have absolutely no idea. And so we immediately call the bank and, and file a dispute. Um, and then sometimes they, it just takes a while before they, they settle it. And, you know, I've never really known if that affects our credit score in any no, way. No, 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 no. That would be an account takeover type of fraud where you lost your wallet and somebody found your credit card and bought something with it, right? And so you could you have full fraud protection typically on that where you just call the bank and they figure out it's not you and void the transaction. And typically the one that loses there is the merchant mm. that sold the goods or services. Oh, really? And yeah. So if somebody paid you for a tax return mm -hmm. with a stolen credit card, and they did take off it's not going to happen because obviously you have socials involved and stuff but mm -hmm. but you would get a call from your merchant bank saying hey this card is a result of fraud we're taking the money away from you mm -hmm. and so now that you have a charge back mm -hmm. so that's typically what happens but no where where it affects credit scores is when somebody opens up a brand new account under your name and obviously they're not going to pay back right the money that they charge on their credit card so now you have a account that's in default on your credit report and your score tanks mm. so my client that recently had a car taken out under her name 
I can guarantee you that the person who got that car is not going to make those car payments. And so my client's going to get 30 day late car payments on our credit report unless we step in quickly and do something about it. Wow. And does your, this, uh, software that you're building this platform that you're building does it track your credit score as well yeah, yeah, okay yeah. it's a full-fledged credit monitoring app and it's got an identity theft suite you know to track identity theft as it potentially could happen but again it can't prevent it nothing can prevent it right so we can only stay on top of it and react quickly if it happens yeah i think that's probably like one of the you know i feel like it's essential to for everybody to have because like i'll give you an example i um had a credit card that I use open up because I usually know offer, especially at, at a very young age when they're like, hey, $300 if you spend this much money. Uh, and I was like, hey, I, I'm going to pay off my credit card anyway, so I'll take the cash back. And then I'll use it. And then after I get my cash back, like I won't use the card. Now I'll forget about it. But then maybe I had like a recurring charge on there. And that actually happened where I had a, a charge that I bought something with. And then a year later, it charged again completely forgot about the service, completely forgot that I even had that credit card. I hadn't used it in years, but it was still there. And then all of a sudden I checked my credit score and it's like, um, I actually hadn't checked it in a while. And it was like three, four months unpaid credit card balances. Oh. My credit card, Dang. my credit score had gone down like a hundred points. Yep. I was like, what, how do I have a, you know, how did my credit? And it's like, Oh, you have, and it was like a $10 charge. Nope. <laughs> so I, I immediately called the bank and I was like, um, Probably should have just reached out to you. It would have been easier. But <laughs> I called the bank and I was like, hey, I didn't even know. Uh, or the actual credit card company. Like, hey, I, I didn't even know. I would have paid this credit card right away. I had I got the bill. I never received an email. Um, my credit score is down like 50 something or 100 points. Uh, I'll pay this right now. It's only $8 or $10. And somehow they were able to reverse it. And my credit score went up. But I think it took like 60 days. How or long so. ago was that? It's probably about a year and a half ago or so, two years ago. Can I ask what bank that credit card is? It would. I think it was like Capital One, something. Dude, that is so hard to accomplish. Really? Removing late is the hardest thing to do. Um, and especially that what you just said, most banks, if, if you tell them that, they're not going to do it. Oh, wow. There's very few banks that have some leniency, but it's been getting harder and harder. I've been doing this 16 years. That was really easy 10 years ago. Mm. And just every year that's gone progressively, progressively harder. You know, and right now it's like that's very unlikely to happen. So you lucked out for sure. Wow. Good job getting that reversed because that is extremely rare and difficult to get done. Wow. Yeah. And I, re and I remember it was like for an $8 charge yeah. and then I had increased to like 50 something dollars. I'm like, I'll even pay the late fees. Like, yeah. I don't care. Just I'll put my double, credit score back up. up. But what, what's happening is in the current climate of government regulation, you have these agencies that are created by the government to over, oversee and regulate banks and debt collectors and credit bureaus. And because there's this attitude of hyper compliance where you're just trying to have everything by the book, because if this agency comes in and audits you, they find that you did something that's not by the book, you can face millions of dollars in fines. Right. And so, you hear this about this a lot. Oh, Wells Fargo got fined a crazy amount of money for these errors. Or this company got fined this crazy amount of money by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau for these crazy errors. And so this attitude of hyper-compliance is rampant. And so what they'll do is anything that is gray area, they just won't do it. Mm. Removing a late payment without just cause is gray area. Mm. And so, and I did, I forgot about this card. 
or I didn't get an invoice is gray area. Mm. It's not a reason in the books. Wow. And so it becomes very difficult to do. So typically we got to come up with a very creative reason Mm. um, to, to not be in the gray area. Right. (laughs) And so we have a few under our sleeve, a few, you know, tricks that we can do, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's why you hire a professional, I think. Cause like, even for us, like if uh, someone gets an IRS bill, and they have these, all these interests and penalties assessed. It's like, um, we even tried once and, you know, and hey, this client was not able to pay their bill because they were sick with COVID and they were, you know, we gave them the story and they're like, oh, COVID's not a, a valid excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not in the books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why, um, you know, again, someone that's dealing with it every single day, like you are, it just, it just, you know, makes someone's life so much easier because it's like, hey, you this is what's happened. How can, can you just take care of it? Yeah. So those are, those are tough though. So I'm glad to hear you got that done. Cause yeah, I'm sure that tanked a hundred points. Absolutely. That's, yeah. what, that's, a, that's one of the only things that can tank your score a hundred points is not paying a, a bill recently. Right. Oh my goodness. hundred percent. So on Semo, um, <clears throat> obviously if someone wants to reach out to you, they can find you on Instagram under at Anselmo 2004. Also on your website, icscreditfix.com. Um, also on Facebook under Innovative Innovative Credit Solutions, um, are, is that the best way for them to reach? Yeah, get a hold absolutely. Of you? you know, typically, um, if you want to schedule a time to connect with me, you go on our website and my calendar is there, and you can just book a time to for us to connect over the phone or in person. You can just choose. Uh, but we're pretty active on social media as well, so if you want to send us a message on on Facebook, you know, we'll we'll definitely get back to you and, and accommodate you and help you answer whatever questions you got. So yeah, definitely reach out if you got any questions. Um, and you know, we're, we're local here in Bakersfield, but we have clients all over the country. So anybody can come and, and pick our brains about credit. And we have um, just a lot of experience helping people make right decisions when it comes to improving their credit scores. That's awesome, man. So yeah, you can, if basically if you're anywhere, it doesn't matter if you're in Kern County or not, reach out to Anselmo if you're looking for a credit expert and someone he or someone on his team can help you out. So Anselmo, it's been a, you know, an honor having you on the show. I think a lot of our listeners got a lot of value. Um, love listening to your story as well. So I wish you the best of luck in the next, you know, this year and the rest of the next year as well. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for the invite.